Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to Spanish Mustang Radio, where we explore from the past to the present, the Spanish Mustang breed. I'm Wynn Brookhouse, and with me is my co-host, Jolie Alonji, who is working the board. Today's show is sponsored by AeroRockSpanishMustangs.com. Our guest today is John S. Hawkinsmith. John is an author and a photographer who just um, completed a really beautiful book called Spanish Mustangs in the Great American West. How are you today, John? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Wynn. Good. Um, and, John, I just want to go right into it, and I'm going to start with the questions that you sent me as part of your media kit, and then I've got some other stuff that popped up. But um, what is significant about the Spanish Mustangs, and what's the difference between them and the wild horses in the American West today? Well, when, we're, I, when I came into this project, I was completely unaware of any nuances or what a colonial horse was. I uh, met a lady named Gabrielle Mortwitz, and... She uh, was taking me up to the Brislon Ranch to introduce me to Spanish Mustangs. And, you know, I asked her at that point, and there was uh, a bit of conversation about many things, but there wasn't any real clarity that came to me about the the Spanish bloodlines that, uh, when pure or when um, contained um, so that they're not mixed with turnouts and uh, other horses, uh, that they are our true colonial breed. Um, the horses that the conquistadors brought in um, that were traded to or taken by the Plains Indians and traded to the uh, explorers and became the cow horse. Um, so, you know, what's significant about them, the history of this country rests on the backbone of these particular horses all the West. Uh was um, um, encountered, uh, you know, with on Spanish Mustangs, Indian horses. Yep. Right. Um, now, let me ask you, too. Um, now, were you involved with horses uh, before you started working with the Spanish Mustang, um, on the Spanish Mustang book? Well, yes. Um, and I've been a photographer for over 30 years, and in... Uh, 1994, uh, I started to focus my camera exclusively on uh, the equine subject and made limited edition prints and innovated into G-clay printmaking and um, pursued... uh, I'm near the Kentucky Horse Park. I'm only three miles north, so we have a a market here from Keeneland to Churchill. But in the late uh, 90s, I realized that you know, there was a lot more than just racing, which is what our Kentucky um, business of horses seems to be all about. And um, I went out to Colorado, and I got familiar with a gentleman who had just imported some gypsy cobs. And um, in 2004, I took a, a trip over to England 
and got familiar with the um, the Appleby Fair and the the gypsy horse trade. And over the next three years, I did what was my first book, and that is Gypsy Horses and the Traveler's Way. After that completion, I was hungry to do uh, a book even that I felt could be more important. And with the World Equestrian Games coming to um, 2010, coming to uh, Lexington, Kentucky, the first time that it'll be out of Europe, uh, I embarked on what's next. And as it turns out, it was our American heritage uh, and the uh, Spanish Mustang, uh, how they re-entered the um, Western Hemisphere, and uh, it trails um, the doc or tries to document and spend uh, uh, generation by generation where the horses were and how they changed the landscape, uh, the people, and the culture. Okay. All right. And um, now let me let me ask you here. Then I'll go back to one of yours here, which was. Um, what were some of the challenges in, in writing the book about the Spanish Mustangs um, in the great American West? And and what memorable moments do you recall while photographing the horses? Well, let's let's go to the joyous part of it first, and that is to spend eight weeks in uh, west of the Mississippi uh, in a land that I'm an Easterner, and it was uh, all new to me uh, to see the canyons and to uh, have the inside um, line on where formations and uh, formative era petroglyphs and pictographs and to meet the Brislons and uh, to be able to attend the 50th anniversary of uh, the founding of the Spanish Mustang Registry, um, to go down to Albuquerque and um, work with uh, some wonderful in uh, individuals. Doug Lanham comes to mind. And the Little Cayuse Ranch, uh, with some wonderful people very far south of Albuquerque, 50 or 100 miles. Um, to spend that time over an eight-week uh, period and be able to have all the welcome of everyone involved in the breed um, is absolute joy. I guess when it comes down to the, the work that came to be was... I guess I just don't realize my own ambitious statements, but to try to chronicle from generation to generation, from 1493 and Columbus with his 25 Andalusian types, um, the beginning of the Conquistador, and to, you know, there's many books in many libraries that probably I'm not even aware of, but I only could find two that actually in the 20th century that chronicled generation by generation and summarized the the eras. And that was first uh, the classic J. Frank Doby, uh, The Mustangs. And it's a brilliant book by a regionalist Texan who was uh, quite a poet. And um, he certainly understood the the heritage and his bibliography in his book reads like the who's who of where to go look. So anybody that wants to do the research should certainly pick up that book first. I was um, also in the mid-70s, uh, a woman named um, Hope Riding did a beautiful book that is America's Last 
wild horses. And Hope is uh, a friend of mine today. Um, I've pursued and met her. She's living in New York. Her book was a little different than Dobie's. At the end of Dobie's book, he claimed they were all gone in a very poetic flourish, that all these colonial horses were only in our imagination in the stuff of poetry. What he wasn't aware of, being in Texas, that up in Oklahoma and in Wyoming, that the Brislons and the Belskis, and that there were conservators that were ferreting out the last of the Indian horses and the remaining stallions that were of uh, likely um, the pure descent. I was told they go on the criteria of uh, the the oral history of the herd as well as the confirmation which they knew from their childhood uh, and uh, ultimately the vertebra is in their back after the horse is deceased. Uh, a very effective manner in which to not create a new breed but to um, uh, isolate the old breed. Going back to Hope Riding, she dealt with her book more on a all of the horses in the West, which is really where the distinction is, all the feral horses. And she referred to them as wild horses, but I don't think that's appropriate in so much that they're just feral. They're not the subspecies like the Pawaski. Or, um, nonetheless, um, her book chronicles uh, on beyond 1934 into the 70s and into the wild horse Annie and all the legislation that has gone on for 150 years to try to um, uh, give the um, the wild horses some, some space that uh, the, isn't impinging upon the cattle people or, or other cities or other regions that are inhabited uh, or spoken for. Her book is brilliant. I love her writing style. She really spoke to my heart. And um, she really helped crystallize what Dobie um, had had uh, achieved. And then there, the, uh, all the other books that are out there are just specific eras, like the Conquistador or Ewers and the Plains Indians, and uh, or the Blackfeet. And you go on down through the 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 books. They're not done in a timeline that really give you that kind of um, omnipotent view of our 500 years with these horses. So I think I've probably spoken more and should let you inject Wonderful. back in more than I need to there. But. That's exactly what we wanted to understand. Yeah, because it's, it's, it is that discovery that is um, part that's so exciting, I think. If you love horses and then you want to trace back and understand horses and uh, America, and in particular, of course, the American West, you know, um, of which, of course, like you said, they were the, the main impetus for exploration and development and, uh, and unfortunately, warfare and other, other things of that nature, but definitely a rather colorful history thanks to them, you know. Um, and uh, now let me ask you, I know that you are presently also doing and have done a couple of exhibits and stuff. Could you tell us about some of the exhibits that you have done with the prints that you are also producing um, from from the Spanish Mustangs and the Great American West? Well, as an independent publisher, and that what what I mean by that is that I don't have outside money 
involved in the publishing of these books. Um, what I've chose to do is go back to my roots, which is printmaking, and we just closed an exhibit in the fall, I guess it was around November the 10th or so, at the Headley Whitney Museum in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, the Gypsy book we showed at the International Museum of the Horse. Uh, what we use the exhibit for is to tour the exhibit and use it to help, because we don't have, you know, the New York Times giving us a uh, a review on this book. Uh, we have to really find the niches and be able to get it into the, the communities and get the communities to come to an exhibit, and it promotes the book. So I see one as, um, you know, the exhibit as part of the promotion of keeping the book uh, from becoming lost in obscurity. Mm-hmm. Are you able to um, to use the the Kentucky Horse Park? I have great relations with the, the Kentucky Horse Park, and actually, when we go back to um, my meeting, first meeting with Gabrielle, um, I was wanting to do something for the 2010 Games, and Gabrielle said to me in our trip from Wyoming to um, or from northern Colorado to Wyoming, um, you know, let me tell you, John Stephen, what the Europeans want to know about. And I take it uh, her as an authority uh, because she is a German lady and um, well-versed, and she's a Mustanger. Uh, She has Spanish Mustangs from the Brislon Ranch. And so um, she says that the Europeans have not ever had the vast open spaces and that when they come to America, they're just completely fascinated by the miles and miles and miles of open space that's just Europe has been settled for, or the Asian continent has been settled for 5,000 years, I guess. Um, The other thing is they don't have feral horses. The horse was um, partnered up... um, you know, several thousand years ago, um, and if you really go back into it, the the horse left this continent and went across perhaps a Bering Strait, and 10,000 years ago was uh, extincted uh, either through um, glacier or pandemic or um, most likely um, the early men ate them as a, as a substance uh, for a food. But um, going um, back to what the Europeans want to know about America is the history of our horse, which is their horse. And um, I thought with the World Equestrian Games coming and all the Europeans that will be competitors here, there will be 700 competitors, that it would be um, a great opportunity for me to seize to write uh, a history of how the horse reentered this continent. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I'm hoping that our our first lady and our governor will see that each of the competitors uh, is given this book uh, as a gift, or will be there representing it and um, um, certainly promoting. You know, welcome to America. This is our old Kentucky home, and this is the horse that you gave us. Yeah, that sounds great. And, oh, and wait, when is, I'm sorry, I'm, I don't really know when the the uh, World Games are. So. 
The World Games are um, September, late September through October, 16 days. Uh, the Kentucky Horse Park has been really infused with a new arena, um, as well as, um, you know, we're going to be going after some of that Colorado business, some of that Fort Worth business, uh, bringing horse shows more into um, um, one of the most fantastic facilities uh, in the world. Uh, I say that as a Kentuckian, but uh, there <laughs> certainly is an element of truth to it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, they, they have been, uh, primarily the Kentucky Horse Park has been a nine-month-a-year um, uh, with shows like Rolex for three-day eventing, uh, but this is a premier show uh, out of Europe. It was last in Aachen, and um, it's the first time it's left the European uh, continent. Mm. Oh, okay. Mm. Wow, that's interesting. 700 competitors um, uh, in the seven disciplines, and uh, it's the Olympics, of the Equestrian Olympics. We're hoping uh, for over uh, half a million people for about a 16-day stay. That would be very nice. Yeah, it would be nice to, to have the... Um, Especially the book you know, um, represented there, so that people can, because it's when they read that. That's what's nice about your book is, is is that you know there's so many coffee table, you know what they call coffee table books that are they're just great pictures of horses and but there's nothing else other than that. And uh, you really did capture also you know in your writing and, and also in your poetry. And, and I I wanted to touch on that um, because of the factor that. That's a really great part of the book is in the end you, you've got uh, poems in there and pieces in there, which uh, it adds another dimension to the book. I think it, it really adds the uh, lyrical part of uh, what Spanish Mustang is because to me they are a very poetic breed. And, uh, you know, both their history, their personality, and uh, just uh, everything about, you know, about them and around them. And I think you capture that by using poetry as well as prose. I've grown up here in, in Kentucky and been around horse farms and really some of the, the greatest horse farms um, in the United States and perhaps some even in the world. Ocala has beautiful farms and California has beautiful farms. and there's But horses with halters, it's just an entirely different thing than seeing a horse run free mm-hmm. with without without any restraints. I mean, when I've... When I first took on the, um, uh, in 1994, when I first took on the equine theme, you know, it was like I would go up to uh, a farm and I would think, you know, this foal would be so beautiful if it didn't have that halter on. Yeah. Uh, Or, Uh you know, or (laughs) I started working the derby and, you know, after about 10 derbies or 15 derbies, you can pretty well figure that two minutes from now they're going to be coming across the finish line. They're going to run that same circle. Um, right. It's a beaut- racing is a beautiful sport, but nothing, nothing in my imagination can be can stoke my imagination like seeing a horse run across a horizon and knowing that that horse or, and that band of horses is personifying freedom. Yes. That, that is true. That's the one thing that the wild horses, whether they're Spanish Mustangs or just the wild horses that are now on BLM land, um, when you see a horse free and moving at its own, you know, um, 
inclinations and stuff. It's just a very beautiful sight to see. You know, you know I don't I, I don't come right out and make the case, um, but I allude to it at the end of the book that, you know, the eagle is a, a beautiful sight, but really when it comes to what I believe a national emblem for America, we didn't ride an eagle. No, we we, we sat on the backbone of colonial horses, and when when these horses run free. I think that is a personification of what the American dream is. I yeah. think you're right. Mm-hmm. Well, we could we could tell a lot of people in Washington about that these days. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> but would they listen? Well, I don't know. After 150 years, do you think they would? I don't well, know. think yet. So. Yeah. I'm thinking they're going to um, grow ears any day now. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think uh, Jim Dildine's on. Since we were talking, Jim, are you there? Yeah. Can y'all hear me? Oh, okay. Hi, right, Jim. 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 We can hear you. Okay, I've been listening. So, but uh, yeah, well, that's I think good. Uh, I think the book, and I don't know what the response is in Europe to the book, but uh, I think Europe is a super, super fertile grounds for introducing our horses there. I know there are some there, but. Uh, uh, like like you said earlier, I think the interest level is so great in Europe for these horses. Once they find out, you know, get more and more knowledge about them and their availability, I think that's going to be a a, a a place where we can introduce them. It won't be in large numbers because, as you said, there's no they don't have the wide open spaces to to do a big breeding operation or anything like that. I just think that uh, right now, I think their appreciation for the horse, I think, is is really good based on the members that I've talked to in, uh, in recently and in the past also. So, but uh, I think I think there is a, is a super thing. I think the other thing with this um, the horse Olympics you were mentioning a while ago. I think there it's a case of you know people seeing our horses, seeing maybe somewhat the difference because the feral horses that we see today or a little bit of everything. I mean, they're big, little, small, in between. Uh, draft types, you've got, you know, you got the warm blood types, you got the quarter horse types, you got just about everything off the range that you can think of out there because they're all pretty well mixed up in a lot of cases. And uh, so I just think right now, like I say, if we can get some kind of way to uh, to get this out to those folks, I think, I think, you know, here again, it will keep us going and keep the horse, uh, for the future, I mean, like I say right now, as some of the older folks and myself included, uh, I mean the Brislons, I mean uh, Emmett and and uh, some of the others, John Adams and a lot of the others that uh, Ed, and Mary Ann Thompson. Yep. A lot of the folks like this that I mean they've been working so hard for so many years. Well, we got to find new folks to to pick this up and carry it on and to keep these horses. Right. Because I think right now we're doing some DNA stuff right now through Texas A&M. And uh, from a former University of Kentucky uh, geneticist, uh, Dr. Gus Cothran, uh, and uh, he and some other folks that are also doing some, some DNA work. And we're hopeful that somehow or another we can find markers in these horses that make that state that they, they are unique. They've got certain uh, values, features, whatever, that most of our modern horses today do not have, and perhaps even from a disease standpoint and so forth, that we may be able to 
introduce some of these genetics into the newer horses to help them control some of the diseases that seem to come into them, particularly the quarter horse uh, industry. And uh, I think some, you know, like I say, here again, it's it's something we're pursuing, but it's going to take a while before we can get any results of that. So, yeah. well, and it's well, education. Me, it's, oh, I'm sorry, John. Go ahead. I was just going to say it's education because. Um, having grown up in racehorse country, I didn't have a clue um, about a lot of breeds, but specifically when you get down to uh, something that I would consider even a rare breed uh, in a uh, straight-line uh, colonial horse. Mm-hmm. Well, I do think that a lot could be done, and speaking to Jim, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, breeding back, and these horses were the foundation um for the quarter horse, and as you know, certainly in the racehorse bre- breeding, there's a a lot of um, um, I don't know what the proper term, but you know, line breeding, or, or I think to well, um, you certainly wouldn't do that in because of the big money involved in racehorses, but you know, to get more of the Spanish uh, blood back into uh, some of these quarter horses may give them uh, better bone and stronger. Um, Resistance, like you're talking about. In the cattle business, we call that vitality. You put vitality in the animals, and uh, it it's something when you're crossbreeding different breeds, it makes them, I mean, they're more resistant to diseases. They uh, Cattle feed out better than everything else. Now, I don't think there'd be any difference in, in horses. It would give them more stability and, and improve. Like I say, it would take the, the pluses of one side with the pluses of the other side, maybe, and and you combine them, and you get a much better horse. I know the the quarter horse started initially from the Spanish Mustangs, and uh, they they have introduced, of course, other. They brought in the what I call short track thoroughbreds in into it, and and uh, there's some cases I think one line of quarter horses uh, have some perching rod in it because mm-hmm. people up in the Northwest want a much larger, bigger horse. So a quarter horse is not necessarily a quarter horse. A quarter horse is really a mixture of many. Right. different kind of inputs to, to come up with uh, a sort of a conglomeration of horses, I guess, if you will, and uh, that fits yep. different people's needs or whatever as they perceive it. And uh, so, like I say, I, th- I just think our horses could offer something uh, to that. I mean, we raise original Texas Longhorn cattle, and we're doing a lot of DNA stuff on them, also thinking that we can add some vitality to the domestic cattle kind of thing here again because they have resistance to, for instance, the the tick fever, and uh, there's certain things that things just don't bother them. I mean, uh, and uh, and yet other cattle, flies get after them everything else. Well, my cattle, flies are not a problem, and uh, there's very few flies. Well, I'm going to get us, let's get us back on track. But here, anyhow, Jennifer. horses, I think yeah. the horses kind of thing, this is what we need to understand. Are our horses so unique? that we can use that to our advantage. And if the DNA kind of thing, as it progresses, proves this, I think that will be a great boon for our horses also. One interesting I, comment that I'd, I'm not an authority on anything, to say the I, least, but when, when I saw some BLM roundups, right. it looked like Spanish Mustangs to me. I was, well, sure, I mean, sure, no. I'm not saying that there's not. But here's what I found out, is that these Spanish traits rise. Yes. And if you breed in um, Spanish Spanish blood, that it'll mask out a lot of the other bloodlines, and they'll look Spanish. Right. They'll they'll pick up the mm-hmm. traits that, uh, because the Spanish, I think the way it was said to me is that the Spanish traits are dominant. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Well, they're also the most primitive. I mean, primitive in the terms of horse meaning far into the past. And and so as you breed in there, you breed back what I I, I think of as hoarseness. You bring back the hoarseness to the horse, and and that's what you see rising to the surface. There's all those characteristics of the horse that needs to adapt to living the way a wild horse has to live. An interesting when an uh, interesting concept that I was introduced to when I was doing the research is that the Andalusian types that were brought over from Spain over the next hundred years, were, when they gathered in the New Aces Valley and were spread across both sides of the Continental Divide, mm-hmm. that they were called by Mother Nature, whether it be other animals, uh, panthers or bear, or, or whether it be, uh, you know, a, a soft hoof that cracked. But the just the 200 years, 300 years that those horses roamed, that they were evolving into a smaller, more like, I mean, they could climb more like a goat than they could the original the the original Andalusians couldn't so these horses adapt to their environment, right. and it, it, well, it, know, it, we we just don't we try to get things done too quickly by you know mixing bloods and trying to create a breed. Right, right. We're creating well, a you know, horse, Frank I think, Dolby more than book. a than a hardy horse. Wait, John, just a second. In the Frank Dolby book, um, Dolby even refers to this with a quote from the Spanish, even as early as the late 1600s where they're writing back to Spain saying that these horses are better than the horses we now have in Spain. Yeah. You know, so exactly. they saw what the difference was once these horses got back into their natural element. Um, and they saw the difference as far as stamina and, and just uh, the horse itself. You know, they saw they were ending up with a better horse. Emmett and I were standing out amongst one of his herds, one of his... Um, out on the Cayus, and I think, I can't quote him, but I know the inspiration that he gave me was, you know, the only thing that's ever gone wrong with these horses was caused by men. Yep, yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the case with a lot of things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Including men sometimes. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, uh, John. Um now, you've got your book, but now I noticed in your press kit that you gave me that, that you also have prints that are available at your website that people can purchase. Yes, the the exhibit is uh, large canvases. Um, you know, they range, uh, you know, three feet by five feet, um, 40 inches by 60 or seven feet, or one of them's 12 and a half feet, the Petroglyph of Nirabana. It uh, shows Spaniards coming in on horseback. It's um, twelve and a half feet long in the exhibit. Wow. Now, what what I hope to do, and uh, perhaps Albuquerque and Santa Fe um, is the um, the real target to get these exhibits in circulation. You know, the Cowboy Museum. Um, mm-hmm. The, there's many venues. There was even some things up in uh, um, Sundance had a little, uh, or up in uh, the South Dakota area. But to be able to travel this exhibit uh, and then have small inspirational posters, because not everybody has a place for a big work of art, but it really, in order to get the, the, the impact feel of what Nirabana's panel is like, 
you need to see it in 12 and a half feet scope from about 15 or 20 feet. Then you have the, the perception of what it's like when you're standing uh, 150 yards away from it in Canyon de Chez. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. So, now, yes, you, on I my website, that... we do have art for sale. The book is, um, uh, there's a virtual um, uh, book there that you can page through. And, you know, yeah. we're getting uh, hits from, we just shipped one to um, a lovely lady in the Netherlands. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's just in its infancy now. And in the same way that Dobie's book has been in reprint, for many years, I know that since I own the rights intellectually and am the publisher, that this book will not go out of print. It's only when it's in the hands of somebody else that they say we're not going to ever reprint it because there's not enough money. Right. Now, can you give everybody your web address and for people who would like to go and see the book and the prints and stuff? It is www.fineartadditions.net. That's F-I-N-E-A-R-T-E-D-I-T-I-O-N-S dot net. Or Spanish Mustang, I think it's SpanishMustangs.net too. I think we captured that URL. And I know that they can look you up on Google. Uh, yeah. Just John S. Hawkinsmith and, and you show up and uh, they can get the link from there because that's how I first found um, and and stuff. All right, now let me just ask you, I'm going to ask you one of your final questions, and I think it's a good one, which is, um, you know, especially from your viewpoint of coming in on all of this um, as a photographer and as a, as a writer, is given the ongoing debate about the future of North America's wild horses, what do you hope to achieve with this book? In other words, what are you really trying to... Uh... Well, you know, first thing I'd like to do is pay for the print bill. <laughs> I'm not expecting anything. We I put I put uh, three years of uh, maybe 40 hours a week into the um, compilation, the research, and you know I don't I don't want to be too lofty about what I would like to accomplish, but you know I'd like um, for um, for anybody that's involved in horses to see what they feel about our American heritage. And, I mean, we're not talking red state, blue state. We're talking, you know, the United States of America and where the boundaries are and what we're going into. And I, I really believe that through the the chronicle of the, um, the return of the horse to this um, continent that we can look forward and backwards at the same time and really find out where we are. That sounds like a good goal, actually. Yep. So the horse is my metaphor. I tried once to um, be a horseman and found out it's a lifestyle that's more rigorous than being a photographer. (laughs) And and I couldn't couldn't divide myself again. So, um, you know, I was fortunate to be able to find a good home and get my money back out of that horse. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm a photographer who's basically really become just involved with the horses these days. So I understand what you mean by that. <laughs> well, it is, you know, photography is a lifestyle every bit as much. And yes. you certainly could verify that by speaking to my wife. You know, uh, <laughs> she, she's been a photographer's widow, it seems. 
So, so let me ask you then. So, when you say you self-published a book, because I, I was wondering whether, as a as a photographer who's been involved in all the digital renovations that are coming up, um, I was wondering. Now, did you actually print the book using the new print technology that a lot of people are using, which is just the inkjet printers, and then have it bound? Or did you actually print out a certain number using a standard lithography technique? We sent the book. The, the best press work I can find for the money is being done in China. And, yes, I do um, have – I made all the pre-press proofs, and I worked in InDesign uh, to do the layout. And th then as I was writing, and I had a wonderful co-writer, and uh, it's a – Michelle McDonald uh, is just a brilliant woman who serves as my editor. And um, when it came down to indexing the book at the end, she was able to push us on over the the um, goal line of making sure that everything was included in the index and useless things were not in the index. But to answer your question, the new technologies enable someone like me as a photographer to do all my pre-press proofing. But ultimately, I, you know, I, I got my PDF and it was sent to a print broker and then it went to China where it was uh, printed and bound and put on a ship and shipped back to our harbor um, on the West Coast. So um, in terms of marketing thousands upon thousands of books, um, that's probably the only way that it can be done. Right. Yeah, I just wondered about there, that. So there are some new technologies where you can upload, and but it's just not cost-effective because, you know, to hit a price point of, um, say, $40 or $50, if you have to pay um, um, $25 to have it printed per copy or $20 per, you just can't get it in the bookstores and, you know, you can print onesie-twosies like that. Yeah. But um, what was the first edition printing? This is the first edition, I'm assuming. This is the first edition, and I gave the distribution rights to Oklahoma University, and they have 1,500 of them, and I have 1,500 of them. And uh, I think it would be, um, you know, the long-range goal was as an individual, and I do plan to do... Uh, more books. The the Gypsy book and the Spanish Mustang book uh, still leave the Asian continent to uh, to be dealt with. And I would like, you know, the books are matched. They're side, they sit side by side. And I eventually would like to go to Mongolia and do the uh, um, the Mongolian culture and their subsistence. They've reintroduced their horses into the wild now too. Yes, the, um, yeah. the, um, there's a, a wonderful group of um, veterinarians that go over and um, teach um, and help them with their animal welfare. And, um, you know, I think that it would be the perfect companion uh, to gypsy horses, Spanish mustangs, and Mongolian horses. Right. Are they adding any outside blood? I know there was an effort here a few years ago. I say a few years, but maybe two or three years ago, they were looking for some of our horses, uh, certain colorations, certain types, to uh, as a group to go. And uh, we had one of one of the former members out of Oregon 
who was spearheading that, trying to gather a bunch of horses that were going to be shipped, ultimately shipped to uh, Mongolia. They were looking, I think, for mares. And I know that they I said. Know, I mean, it did, I don't think that happened, but I don't know if, that, if that's maybe something before or since has been worked on again or not. The Perowski horse was extincted from their continent. Right. And I think that perhaps in Norway or up in Scandinavia, they found uh, and reintroduced some Pawaski horses over there. Right. But the general nomad has a, a, a short pony-esque uh, Mongolian horse, mm-hmm. and they do 50-kilometer um, races, and um, they live in these yurts that, I mean, I've been told you're greeted with a, a bowl of mare's milk as yes. uh, yeah. substance, and, you know, they they actually, um, um, it's the horse is one of their, their meals, and um, you know it's they're they're the last horse culture. I think I was just fixing to say they are a true horse culture because yes. I mean from children on up. I mean they're probably only ten years of that left before China runs over top of them. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. In fact, it was just a couple of months ago they have a special race that they do with all the young kids where mm-hmm. they they do fifty miles on horseback. No, yeah, kilometers uh, about thirty miles. Yeah, fifty kilometers. You're and they were talking about it, talking to the young kids, because uh, the boy who won it was like, I forgot what he was, 11 years old or something, you know. And, <laughs> they're, they're, uh, um, I was told by the veterinarian who I met recently that goes in there uh, on an annual basis that they walk the horses, the 30 kilometers, that the parents and the family walk 30 kilometers with the horse, and then the child on the horse, they turn around and give it a slap, and it it's an all-out race. An all-out race to, to oh, yeah. where they started from. <laughs> yeah. So it is maybe it's closer. It was, if you were, take that yeah. first thirty kilom or fifty kilometers, it may be closer to sixty miles. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 But it's that that last heat, that last thirty miles, is a full-out on-go. The kids just a- anything on. goes, is what I've been told. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It would huh. be a fun. It would be definitely a fun experience. It, it sounds a lot like what the Native Americans might have had going on before the the explorers came over. Yep, it could yeah. be. Yeah. Well, that's partly my attraction is the commonality of the gypsies and the Native Americans, and and I think you know what I try to achieve in these books is not just pictures of horses or or horses, uh, but th- that bit of space where people and horses interact interact with and create culture. Well, you know, that's that's an interesting book with the Spanish Mustangs. I mean, as somebody myself, because um, when I first came here, I mean, I was never expecting to get involved as much as I am with horses. I just came here figuring, gee whiz, I want to retire and I want to start riding and have my own horses. And the next thing I do, I met Dave Reynolds and uh, Sharon, and here I was training to two Spanish Mustang horses, and I'd never trained a horse in my life, and and it just took off from there. And but one of the things I've noticed, especially for the Spanish Mustang, is that you know people we all talk about they're wild, they're wild, but yet there's so much great stuff of um, their relationships with people because they're such great people horses, and. Um, and what people do with them and working with them. I, I've been trying to work now more on, on promoting that part of it so people really see what it, what fun they are to to experience as a, as a human and a horse together. You know, and and I think that's what Emmett was trying to tell me, that, 
you know, if you if these horses are in severe training, whether they're having to run two miles in two minutes or run a mile in two minutes, or if they're you know having their their legs harnessed up so that they're are weighted down so that they're high stepping, all of these things disrupt the true nature of a horse at liberty. Yeah. And the gypsy horses were very, uh, raised in a natural state, uh, allowed to have their own, you know, natural selection of their mares and such. Um, and they were very calm horses. And when I went out and saw the Brislons um, uh, uh, herd, um, I noticed the similarity. And I do believe that allowing these horses, you know, I think, there are people that have put Tabasco on the rectum of a horse to get it to move, you know, or whatever tricks they do to make the horse more competitive is in the end uh, what makes the horse, it's what Emmett was telling me, the only thing that goes wrong with a horse is done by men. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The horse has got plenty of go if it really has the heart to do it. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's the thing. You know, it's sort of funny because, Working now, and especially doing the radio show where I'm getting to talk to so many uh, Spanish Mustang owners, is the unique thing about all of us is ask. I mean, at least so far, I haven't found one um, whether they keep any of these horses in a stable, and nobody does. We all keep our horses at liberty, and um, you very rarely see any of our horses out in the pasture with a halter on them, which tells you something about your ability to communicate and be with them, you know. That's um, also a good way to kill your horse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Casey gets stuck on something. Yes, this yep. is true. But, uh, but you know, to me, that would be a very interesting... You know, I realize you've already done one book on the Spanish Mustangs. Of course, we would try to get you to do another. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, but, you know, just... Actually, in, I am, by the way. I'm doing a children's oh, book. Oh, that, that would be a wonderful book to have for, yeah, for kids, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm doing uh, some pretty slick artwork that's not just photography, and I'm uh, going to tell the creation story and um, oh, okay. talk about all the colors under the sun. And, oh, there you got our horses are good for that. And you want <laughs> this particular what is this? breed, you can just about see everything from a Tobiano to an Orvero or whatever. And they're all alike, you know. They're all different, and they're all alike. So I think it'll make a beautiful children's story, and uh, hopefully that one will be the one that makes the money. Now, uh, Julie, isn't Sherry Carlisle's kids who are always riding them bareback and take them swimming, and they get on their backs and jump into the river and stuff? The gypsies do that. Yeah, they they get in the ponds and they've got, they they uh, it's not the kids it's grandkids and the Carter kids down on the mountain and um, first time I saw that I just wished I'd had a video camera because <laughs> those kids they'll dive off the horse the horse is pawing in the water and the kids are diving off and they're climbing back on and they're just <laughs> playing together and they're, they're just having a ball. We Unfortunately, uh, Sherry, yeah, we're going to be inter- re-interviewing Sherry because we had technical difficulties on that interview. We did it, and it didn't record for some reason. But she was just telling us about all of her grandkids and everything. And, and in fact, Dave, who's not here today, Sharon's sort of taking his place, but um, Dave from Nebraska, the Yoeys, who they'd never really had horses before, and they asked Dave for one of the horses, and Dave, you know, said okay, and 
chose one of the you know what they felt was the best horse for them because they'd never ridden before and yeah they got you know, two to start with. Yeah, too. And what was it, Sharon? Like six months later, everybody's riding those horses bareback. The whole family just taking them up and down the hills and over and under. <laughs> well, actually, they got two, and we didn't hear them from them for the longest time. So we thought, uh-oh, this is might be not good. And then the next we heard from them, they wanted they called up and said they had a horse problem, and we thought, oh no. And it was they didn't have enough horses, so they got another one. <laughs> and since then, they've gotten another one. <laughs> and they're no longer really kids anymore now. <laughs> Most of the people I know that have horse problems have too many. Yeah. <laughs> you did have too many. I, I'm going to have to join in with you guys right now. <laughs> I know a guy that's got way too many. <laughs> well, you're not alone, believe me. Listen, <laughs> right. And, I've been listening with you guys for a while. Well, hello, Brian. Good, yeah. to, good to talk to you, Brian. Wow, well, it's been a long hey, time. Yeah. Well, I totally agree with everything you guys have been saying. It's um, yeah. And I've witnessed those things that Jolie has, you know, with those kids playing on those horses. And one that we got from Dave also, we raised a colt out of from Choctaw Ricochet. And my brother's boy, Josh, he, he calls him uh, Pac-Man. And... He just dearly loves that horse. He rides him every place. You can't get him lost and and go swimming on him like like Jolie was saying. And they just really have a big time together, you know. And the mama was the one that came from Dave's. Right. Mm-hmm. And my horse, Dancer. I mean, because I've 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 had animals all my life, and I've always found if you you can play with them a lot, they, once they start getting used to it. Dancer and I, we play wrestling, where I try to wrestle and trip her front legs, you know grab her around the neck because she's so small, and then we wrestle, and I try to get my legs in between hers and trip her up and stuff. <laughs> now she'll play that game for a while and, and stuff. She likes that game. But, uh, yep, it's, so there you go. You've got There's a lot of kids right there for you, John. <laughs> and but, that's out of Sharon's? That's at Sherry Carlisle. Sherry Brian Carlisle. Right, Brian? That's your sister, right, yes, Brian? that's my sister, yes. Well, I'd yeah. love to get out your way, Brian. I haven't well, been back to Oklahoma since I last saw you, but you've been on my mind and on my heart, and I wish there was more that I could do from this end um, in your endeavor. Well, we're just kind of getting through it the best we can, and it's it's really been the most trying thing I've ever been involved with, you know, and... I just sent some horses off with the Chickasaw Nation today. Uh, well, at 3.30, they left here. So uh, they are very interested in the horses. So uh, I'm hoping that they can do something great with them. I've got lots of promises from them. Uh, they're not, they don't break their word like the white man does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I hear yeah. that. Yeah. Brian, yes. can I ask you one thing? Francine Lockbray, when she was on, she mentioned something to me. And it stuck with me. I can't get it out of my mind. What happened to forever in a day? Yes, yes, uh-huh. yeah. What happened? And as to long that? as and as long as the water flows and the grass grows. Yeah. What happened to that? And why can't that? Well, be what happened to the grass growing was they sprayed it out with herbicide. That's so, so the grass quit growing. Yeah, but forever no, no. in a day. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, do you think we're going to be able to do a show on, on this information? 
Oh, I think so, yes. Okay, good. Well, so. I'll tell you what, guys, let's do this. Is it all right? Let's end the show here, and then we can all stay on the phone and let's talk for a while. Let okay? me say one thing uh, on air while we're here, that the greatest inspiration that I got out of the – there were many, many great inspirations, but the short time that I spent at Bryant's and seeing the feral Choctaw horses of Gilbert Jones and seeing them run loose in the mountains um, – I felt like I was seeing I was there just in the nick of time to see the last of uh, our true American heritage. Mm-hmm. They were truly feral. The ones that Brian showed me, they they weren't um, semi-preserved. No. Well, with well, the let's do this. down there, um, he's had to keep them as wild as he he could because if he gets them tame, they'll get shot or stolen or who knows what, you know. Yeah. And, and that that seems to be the final that's that's what they've got on their mind if the ones that we don't you know we haven't got gathered they of course this could be on our next our next talk show you know but yeah I'll say this if uh, they wanted me to sign over disclaiming all of those horses that that uh, what was left there where they could dispose of them as they saw fit no and through attorneys from back east and all it, Financially, that was the best thing for me to do back in July. But as I read John's book, and I got to that last page, and I saw those horses walking over the hill, and uh, that we should never say goodbye, I I just attached all of my notes of what I was going to say to the people to that page and didn't mail them the letter. Then I got hit with an $839,339.39 lawsuit. You know. Wow. <laughs> So, uh, but I couldn't say bye to those horses. These guys are ruthless. In, in, the, in the last of the documentation, it says they will be turned over to the wardens of the state game department, and the nuisance animals will be disposed of as they deem necessary. That's crap. So, yeah. Wow. So John might have got to see the last free-running ones in their. So let's you hope know. not. Let's hope not. Let's yeah. hope that. Well, let's can. let's let's find a range that they can run on, and. Um, you would think the Kaimichi Mountains would be it. Okay, well, let me end the call, and then we can stay on and Okay, talk. well, let me just give us our, okay. our sign-off here. Um, okay. Everyone, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll visit uh, John S. Hawkinsmith's site, which is www.fineartsedition.net, and our companion website, which is SpanishMustangWorld.com. Uh, our next show will be interviewing Sh- uh, Sherry, oh, I'm sorry, uh, gosh darn it, Silka Schneider, um, who's also um, a Spanish Mustang owner and writer. And we're going to try, I think maybe we'll rearrange some of our stuff so we can get Brian on a little sooner because I think we really need to, to talk about this issue because it is obviously pressing and um, we'd like to get as much out to the people as we can. Yes, I Thanks agree with listening. And um, I hope that you'll listen to our next shows. And have a good night. Thank you very much, John, uh, for being on the show. My pleasure and honor. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.